0: Himself to the Hebrew nation. It was here that the living God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. It was here that the aged and stammering Moses was sent back to Egypt with a miraculous authority to liberate all of Israel. It was at Horeb that the Israelites came, following the pillar of the at night and the covering of the cloud by day, God Himself was inscribing the law on Israel's uh, heart, but it had put it on the tables of stone. And then, in the midst of a blazing fire and what was a deep gloom to God's people and a whirlwind, the terrifying voice of the Most High spoke audibly to God's people and established the coming with them. Israel had other sacred places. They had the town in the wilderness. They had the temple in Jerusalem. And they had various altars that were written by men to God. Well, Horat was unique. Horat was where Moses and the Israelites met God. And it was where Elijah fled when all he had tried to do had failed. Horab was the mountain of God. Power with God's authority. Consider Elijah, the fierce prophet, whose spectacular but failed efforts to bring revival have burdened him with depression, fear, and discouragement. But Elijah also comes to worship the longer, Elijah, who seemingly like can't get over the idea that all the prophets are dead and he alone is left, and yet it's here that he discovers that only that there are. There are 7,000 Israelites who have not bowed their knee but are loyal to God.
1: And then Elisha, a man who will receive a dumb portion of Elijah's power, will bring an end to Jezebel's perverse reign and bring a season of revival to the northern tribes.
0: On Horeb, Elijah discovers his true call. It was not to lead a revival, but it was to go before him Way for greater things to come. It's the spirit of Elijah that actually prepared the way for Jesus. Israel's Messiah in the first century it shall again be the spirit of Elijah who prepares the way for the second coming of the Lord that God believe we are going to see hopefully in many of our lifetimes. But here it is. At Horat, you discover More about God, but you also finally begin to understand what we who we are and what God desires of us, our lives and We truly focus on what's important. Beloved, you know that Horab is the place where God cuts you back to the root source of your spiritual life. Yes, it's at Horab when you're inwardly by superficial distractions of modern Christianity and you're warning and you desperately want to see a move of God's spirit. You will not come become a better person at Horat. For Horat is not about the perfection of self, it's about the abandonment of self. It's not, it's about the discovery that in us in our success and failures there dwells no good thing have to perform, but we must be conformed to the surrendered life of Jesus Christ. Not everyone who walks with God goes through a of experience. Some find God in worship, but others have known desolation prior to knowing Christ, and now they know only thanksgiving to God through their salvation. But some may have actually been through Horab and not identified it like. But at Korah, the morphine of religion wears off, and we can once again feel our pain. Reality manifests. We see ourselves in the light of God, and as we do, we fall upon Christ, the cornerstone. Though broken to pieces, we're finally fit to be used by God. For those who are now even at birth, urge you, let your soul open, your pain arise to God, he knows, he sees your heartache, he feels your sense of shame, bewilderment, regret, whatever he says, do it, when you leave Horat, you'll you have to be brought to a level that, Kara said to me this morning. she says, she keeps hearing this phrase in her head, level up, the level up, she's been saying it all week, level up, she's like, what does that mean, well, a level that you pre There's two prophets that come down. The, the law and the prophets represented anew. Moses and Elijah. Is that where? Jesus' transfiguration. On Horat, there's a, this Mount of God, Sinai, where God brings us through a pattern. I think many in the church, I mean, they have, many have not even. Experience desolation or experience abandonment, and, and, and you're going for full abandonment of self. And it's not a popular message right now. It's just not. But man, this message is the path to the glory of God. Why is Jesus transfigured? Except that in, uh, in this environment, where Moses the law and Elijah the prophet will come down. At for the place of desolation is the greatest place of the preparation of resurrection power of life. But we must not draw back and resist the bewilderment and the desolation of our day. We must press on in uh, to what the Lord has for each one of us. It's a mystery that's beyond our comprehension. Now listen now, because this is what's going on. Horad, once the place of desolation, Sinai, is relieved and revealed as the gateway to God. It is here in brokenness and fearless honesty where God brings wholeness to the soul. And Horad, the mount of God, once there, you're just steps away from the shelter of the Most High.
1: See, Psalms 91.
0: Under the shadow of the wings of the Most High, in the place of the Most Holy Place, in the place of covenantal union with God at the mercy seat, that the Word brings us in and draws us into a gateway in a place of ashes in Asheville the place of desolation to bring about the covering of his protection, his provision and his direction that we know that we can move into a place like a most holy place with the Lord even this morning do you know your enemy does not want you in this place will fight us tooth and now because when you come into the mercy seat of the most high God, when you come through the gateway, the place that was lost to Adam and Eve and Paul, a place that Christ's blood has purchased for us, a place that is not perceptible to the natural senses but a place that faith brings you in, that in that place is our provision, in that place is our protection, in that place is our direction. It requires a humble humility. It requires you to lay off all your burdens this morning. To lay aside every weight that hinders you, the sin that so easily besets you. It requires a throwing off of everything. I confess it. That some of us don't like this. We don't like dependence. But I confess my complete need of you, Lord. I confess that I can do. I can fail! and grace and peace that you bring. Any kind of, you know, stomach uh, issues? Anybody? Any history with bleeding or anything in the stomach or any kind of issue like that? Anybody? Okay. But there's something going on in this house. The stomach, tell me there's a peptic ulcer issue. Of our people that aren't here, or, but I, he told me this morning, he said, "I will heal a peptic, I'm gonna heal a peptic ulcer." I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go out on it. So just pray, just pray right now, for do the same. As you are for the healing Lord, of stomach-related issues and peptic ulcer. I pray Lord, if something like this is trying to set itself up, and anyone is in this room, maybe whether we know it or not, I just pray for your healing this morning that you would touch any kind of anxiety or anything that's related to the stomach-related issues, I just pray, Lord, that you would just bring healing this morning. We just declare, Lord, you're healing, Lord, this morning. Healing, Lord, in the stomach and the intestine area, Lord, that you would just bring healing this morning. Jesus, we just thank you. surrounds us
1: the mighty
0: says the word of God to conceal them out or it's the of a king to search it out and a lot of times i found it's like there's this place of discovery that we can go into with the Lord and if, if we we're so bold to, you know because a lot of times you're, you're going down a path that you've never been down before and you know, when God led Israel out through the through the promised land you know I remember Joshua said hey We've not been this way heretofore. And many of us that are traveling the Christian life right now and on a journey with the Lord, you know, we haven't, we've never traveled this path, And that can bring anxiety and fear and say, is this going to come off or are you going to meet me, Lord? And uh, so this morning I, I was just seeking the Lord, and I get, I get landed to Him like but I don't know how many of you heard poetry of Emily Dickinson. She wrote like 1,800 poems. She's a very private life and very introverted. And She had placed a lot of her poems inside of like her little desk at home. And I want to read you this poem that the Lord led me to this morning. Because I think it would, it would be helpful for all of us today. She said, we never know how high we are till we're called to rise. And then if we are true to plan, our stature will touch the skies. The heroism we recite would be a daily thing. Did not ourselves the cubits warp? For fear to be king. And I was sitting with that this morning and I was like, What are you saying? And the Lord said, You already know what she means. Because uh, I've not been like, you know, maybe poetic most of my life, but he's like, You already get it. And I said, What? He said, I call calling you. I call my people to rise. You know, when we come in here, and, and this is one set, this is. Our mountain set, and we will go back to our valleys and our homes and things. But we're called by the Lord to ascend in worship and descend in war. Sometimes we don't know where we're at, like she says, we don't know how high we really are until we're called to rise. We make a call this morning to to rise. One time I was going through something, I've been through many tough places and hit many walls and hit many dark spots. And I remember uh, Lydia, she was really small. She And I was just sitting there and, she, and I heard the Holy Spirit said, dance on injustice. Dance on. And I'm not really a dancer. And Lydia comes up to me, and she sticks her little arms up, she's really little, really, you know, she sticks up and she says, hey, daddy." And she uses a different preposition than we would use, but she said, dance to me and said, dance with me. And she said, dance to me. And I remember I got, I got my little baby, you know, and we began to a dance. It's like everything that I had considered to be circumstantial at that moment, it's just like it all went away. And me and my baby girl, Lydia, we rose together. And she probably doesn't remember that she was really little, but it always impressed upon me that you and I can praise the Lord, that we can worship the Lord, and something is always like trying to keep us down. It's trying to hold us back. And I began to learn this. I began to learn this as a husband. I begin to learn this as a father. I begin to learn this as a pastor. But man, you want to take these moments like this, and you want to take your will and say, Whatever it takes, I am going to find my place with you, and I am going to go until I do. And I am going to find a place of grounding in you. And my wife and I, we've done me, me. I can do this every day, sometimes two or three times a day, press into this place with the Lord because you know everything's trying to take us out, he wants to get us focused on someone else or our own self, our circumstance. Emily Dickinson. Our stature, yours and mine, is a resurrected and ascended stature meant to rise. It meant to be lifted up. And I I like the second stanza because she says the heroism heroism, we recite would be a daily thing. You know what you and I were made for? We're made for these great victories. Don't you love it when you get a victory with God? You, You get a testimony. I mean, hey, you and I were meant to give up on our testimonies we we're meant to have. She says that we can daily recite them. And if you and I were meant to come into a testimony, I believe, daily. Look at the faithfulness of God when I placed my trust in Him and worshiped Him
1: and praised Him with my whole entire heart.
0: And God gave me a victory, another victory, and another victory, and another victory. And we just keep declaring the victory. Of us have had this in the past. But why not get another victory today? Why not go beyond what we can do? Listen, listen to what she says. She says, it's supposed to be a daily thing for us. But she said, get on ourselves the cubits warp. And um, it took me a minute on that, but a cubit is a measure from the elbow to the middle point to the end of the middle finger. And the Lord said, you know what that means with the cubits, Lord. He said, remember how I told you to proverbially tie your hands behind your back and let me have it? And I said, yeah. Now, let me have it. It's like, I can't do anything. He's like, quit trying to do it on your own. Let me do it for you. It's like, no, you've got to make this happen. You've got to bring this. You've got to bring
1: this to bear. And the Lord's like, no, let
0: me have it. And the cubit, we measure things. Like, well, it's going to cost us that much. Well, this is what we have. This is the whatever. This is what we look like. This is how we measure it. And the human nature is to, me- is to measure it. Yeah. And, and the Lord says, it'll work you. You know, the fifth dimension that we're talking about, based in life, is it based in you, 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 you? We can't measure it. I can't fix it. I've been all I can do, in the Lord said, it's come into rest. And there's a resurrection sitting on the other side of that rest. She makes one of my and She said, For fear to be king. This week, the Lord's like, you know. Does anybody know this technical theological term, double imputation? You know what double imputation is? Many Christians, they get into the first part of the imputation, but not the second part. The first imputation is, is that God took our sins and placed them all Him, or imputed our sins onto the Lord. And many of us are like, thank you, Lord, for the cross, and thank you for the blood, and Thank you for saving me from my sins. But many people stop there. You know what else the second imputation is? I love this part. He imputes his reward onto us. Jesus doesn't just take your sins from you and purify you from your sins. You must believe he is. You must. You also must believe that he's a rewarder for those who diligently seek him. He will give you his reward. Think about it like this: He's a, He's the King. He owns everything. What if we come to him and he says, "I'm not just take your sins from you"? And many, I would say, many believers struggle with that one. Another. cause of repentance and confession. I don't want to really, really get down to the nitty gritty and make it right with God. But the Lord will wait on us and say, "I'll take, I'll take your sin from you." Even Hebrews ten, I'll take the consciousness of sin from you. I'll take the memory of sin from you. But man, I want to give you a reward. Work for. I'll just give it to you—a reward that all you have to do is believe me. This is a great movement of God in the earth. This is how it works. His sacrifice, right there in the scriptures, called double imputation. He—it's a really good deal for us, guys. I'm going to take all your sins and put them on my son, and then I'm going to take all his rewards. and give All you have to do is believe me. That's it. And it really is that simple. Every time we we worship, every time we rise, the Lord says, let me take this from you. Let me take your burden off of you. Let me take this for you. Let me do this for you. I'm always at work, Jesus said. My Father is always working." Let me take care of this for you. Take it off your shoulder. Let me relieve all of your issues. Let me help you with this. And you just say this morning, like, I trust you. I trust you with, I trust you, Lord. I trust you that you can take my sin and my family's sin. But I also trust you that you'll reward us. I love rewards. And I'm not going to apologize for it. I love God's rewards. I love them. You know, he's just so good as a father. He's like, you're like, I didn't do anything to deserve that. And he's like, exactly. I'll do it for you. He started saying this phrase to me in a few years ago, and I went on the line with it. Man works to finish a place, but God places a finished man. Man works to finish something, finish a place. But God places man in a finished world. I heard someone tell me one time at the church, they said, they were mad at me, he said, I crawled my way to the top. Everything I have, I had to die and, and get whoever I had to get it, get it. And nobody's going to take it from me. And I was like, Don't work to finish a place. Let God place you in let the Lord has determined His will for your life, and see, there's a path in this called worship. It's a path. Stephen's lead us in worship. It's a path into His presence. He wants to relate to us and talk to us and commune with us. And then He says to us things that we could have never thought—the wildest things. And you're like, "How could that be?" And then out of that place, He goes to work. Jesus followed it. Who rubs spit and mud in someone's eyes? That's blind. You know why he went up to the mountain? He spent time with the Lord? And the Lord showed it to him. Because he said, I only knew what I see my father doing. And he said, Go rub, take your spit and spit with dirt. In that man's eyes, and every single one of us would say,
1: the, the optometrist would say
0: that is the worst decision you ever made, right? If they were measuring it like an optometrist, if they were looking at the measurement of the hand, and they were doing all the detail that optometry involves, they would say that is the most foolish thing you could ever do—is take dirt you ever had a piece of dirt in your eye? It's terrible. They'll just drive you crazy. You'll put mud in that man's eyes to heal his eyes, and now that man sees. You see? That's ridiculous, Lord. But Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing in God. So what I'm saying is, what I found is you press into the presence of the Lord and he'll show
1: you something.
0: I can't do that. You're like that. Don't make any sense. And then the Lord has a path, and you find a path that no man knows. Joe talks about no man can know this path. It's the path of wisdom. I'll tell you one more little story that happened This a week, week ago Friday. And we're moving on our family to move and things like that. And we get uh, a, a, a literally just have no resource We've got to get in, involved in everything. The Lord tells us to go in this new place down in Hill And it all boils down to Friday morning. The Lord's telling me all week, worship me and move all your stuff out of your house and the storage and get ready with your family. And all week, I, I'm like, Lord, there's no way that we're going to be able to do this. He said. Trust me, I said, yeah, I trust you, but I can't see the way. And he said, worship me. I, I just know this is a way because I'm living it. This just worshiping me. It's like your person's trying to tell you, there's just no way. We've been on that mountain, we've been on 17, almost 17 years next month. There's no way we're going to be able to have something better. And I don't even have a resource. Like, no, no way to do it. Worship him and I forget. I forget that we can't do it, and all of a sudden I forget a little resource comes in. Come on. And the Lord's like, look at me. The next morning I I wake up, I'm like, there's no way. He's like, look at me. You know? Go load up all your stuff and move out in faith and trust me. And it was Tuesday morning, and we ran two more loads out of Saluda and put them in storage and feeling the pressure, you know, just going out because I've signed, I've signed a contract and I don't have the resources to support. Wednesday morning, and get woke up by the Lord and I said, Lord, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how this is going to happen. And, and it shows me in the scripture the place where we're living. I looked all through the Bible and the Holy Spirit shows me in Job 11 the name of the place we're moving in. He said, You won't have to stay up at night, it says. and. You'll be able to sleep at night because I told him that morning I don't want to stay up all night concerned as a man. And I don't want to take care of these things. If it's you, I won't you to take care of them because I don't want to be responsible for it. I that sounds bad, but I, it's like I need you to help me because I don't have the ability to do it. And then I knew it was the Lord and moved two more. We went three back and forth to salute. and moved came out. On. And Thursday, I'm confident, Carrie's confident. On Wednesday night, a little bit more resource comes in. Thursday, it's Friday morning, and I have everything I need minus $500. And I'm like, I can't figure out why I'm $500 short. But I, the word said, be trusted. And I said, yeah. So I went to Bank of America over here in Arden, and I said, I need to get a cashier's check out of my savings. And I emptied my whole savings account, and with the money I've been putting back and waiting on that, whole, that weekend and the week. And I, she said, Well, it's $15 for cashier's check. And I said, Oh, no. Because I had $16.78 in my checking account. And the word says to me in my ear, Do you believe me? And I said, Yes, but I'm in ardent and I have no gas. And I gotta go down to Mill Spring. Said, do you believe? It? And I said, yes, Lord. get the cashier check up. I'm like, I'm gonna run out of school. And I don't know how many times I have one other family just don't know how we're we'll gonna get to the next thing. And our little Sadie comes out of the parking lot and holds up a dollar. Now the week before, Sadie had found his dollar in the back of Eagles where the meat is, and she found it on the floor, and she had held it. We went to the front Eagles and said, We'd like to get this dollar back to you. And the lady said, No, you keep that dollar. So Sadie puts it in her pocket. That morning, before we go to Arden and get a check up, I told Sadie, Go ahead and pack your bags. We're leaving. On faith. And she does what I asked her to do without saying, Oh, Daddy, I don't want to do it. Because sometimes you have the kids say, I don't want to do that, you know. And, and that dollar falls out of her clothes, and she puts it in her pocket that morning. So here we are back at the parking lot. Thank you, American Heart. She holds up a little dollar. She said, "I believe the Lord told me this dollars is going get us to our house." And I said, "Okay." And so we went and put the dollar in the ATM machine. I don't know if y'all ever made dollar deposits, but well, our family has. So now I have two dollars and seventy-eight cents. That's it, that's it. We don't know how we're going to make, make it. So we go, I drive across, and Manny and Elizabeth you can use a restroom. I have safety in the end. I said, I'm pulling into the pumps, and I had worked this, and you can put your zip code in, and sometimes it'll give you a full tank. I mean, and I don't have any fees on my checking, so if it runs over, I just pay it back later. But sometimes the, the pump won't do that. Because I have a debit car, but if you put your four digit identification number, it would just run what you have in there. If you put the zip code and run it straight, it'll run the whole thing. I, the Lord kind of showed me this. So I go in there and I punch it in, and it feels all the same. And we enter, jumping up and down in the car, we're going down there. And Sandy's excited, I pick up Andy, man. he says, I knew at that moment that the Lord was going to see us through our are. Now you have to understand this. 17 years for us a man in the place of training and so I called Karen and I said back of all the bags, suitcase bags, something that's easy to take out and put in, I'm load the car top carrier, they're closing at 3.30 down there, I'm going to load as much clothing as I can we get, all, we get all six kids we're going down there, she's like we're following her short and I was like I know but the Lord said trust me get there at 2.30 in Saluda, They close at 3.30 room one. And we load up. Trust the Lord. It's Friday evening. Friday, 2.30. We get down there to where we're going to be, where we're living now. And I they meet me out there, the lady does, and she says, We're so happy to have you and I looked at her and I said, I'm 500 short. And I didn't really want to say that. It was embarrassing to me, like shameful, you know, like 500 for it. I mean, come on. Man. But it still is 500 short. And I said, Can I take it off of my deposit? And she said, um, Sure, no problem. Come on in. So we walk in there. She has two contracts laid out one for them and one for me. And I went down with the contract. The Lord tells you to step out in faith and trust Him. And I know some of you have done this many times, and I'll tell you that the enemy will fight you tooth and nail if you walk like this. But I want to encourage you that there's a way to walk with God and to listen to Him in your families and trust Him and walk with Him through things and seek His face because a lot of times we're just like, I could have so many times said, Care about me. You. you know, I thought that he would send a big lump sum of finance, and he did He sent a little bit here, and we've had lump sum finance before. He just said, You trust me, now worship me. I said all of that to say that when we worship the Lord, we get intel and information that you could not normally have. When you press into the Lord and you don't let this Place to come off, and you humble yourself, and you say, Holy Spirit, I can't do this life. Like you. He said, I know. You enter into a place with Him, and then He opens up doors that you can't open for yourself, and He, he makes a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. And the Lord is no respecter of person. He doesn't respect our family over and above your family. He doesn't think any more high of me say, when well, you're a pastor, God will do that for you, but he won't do that for me. That is not true. He will do this. And many of you have testimonies in here. I realize that, but I just want to testify to the greatness of God, um, that he's good and he will take care of, of us. And he's a rewarder that those who diligently seek him, if you seek the Lord this morning, Himself, then the Lord will bring the information to you. And whether he does or whether he doesn't, you worship him as himself, because you love him. But he says things and does things for us that we can never do for ourselves. And I know, hey, I don't know how some of you feel about tes- our testimony, but yes, it's probably to to your past. And some people don't like to move like that, I understand. But when God He developed a Hebraic mindset. He developed it like that. It's different than the Roman mindset. Knowing that your mindset and the world's mindset are different. We were made by God to, to walk with Him a different way. We might as well just go ahead and go on the line for it and say this is the way He operates. God operates with you and with us this way. We have a promise here that the Lord said that He's going to gather a hundred women. We have a promise here that our family is going to come together and He's going to raise up 10,000. We have a promise here that the Lord's going to change our city. And I don't understand all the ways of God and the timing of God, but God's given us a promise here corporately. And it can appear as though. And what we're standing on this ground about, how can it ever happen? It can appear that way. But when we take our stand here as a corporate people, believing for the Lord to shape this city, He will. But He's asked us to partner with Him, to come together with Him so that He can change our city. And He has not just gone in the mountains, but he is God of the valley for your family. He's God of the mountain and the valley. He releases blessing. He will release blessing on us here on the mountain corporately. And he will release blessing on your families in the valley. The Lord is faithful. And he is there. He's, he's present with you. What, well, I think we should just take a moment here. Lord, open my eyes to see you. Open my ears to hear you. To only we do and say and do what we see you doing. I will break through every day. I want a testimony. We were made for a testimony. I'm not talking about ambition. I'm talking about humility to see what God sees over your life, To be able to recognize him. To pass through proverbially the burning bush as it were in your life. To turn aside to see. For the great testimonies. Here's the thing. I don't know if you realize this. We can't do this unless we all get involved in this. There's no way for there's no way for leadership to just do this. God wants corporate involvement. He wants you involved with him in this way. He wants your attention to him. He's really into the corporate expression. And so we I'm not saying it has to look like our family, but there is a way of God. There is a way where you move in faith and you trust it. Lord, we say you're the prize, you're, you're the glory, you're the one. Lord, we want what you want, we desire what you desire. popular culture, like I was watching one this week, the man had to tread water out in the ocean with weights on him for as long as he could until he drowned. it, and then they got down in the water, and they resurrected from the dead, and they said, that's a man we can trust, that's a man who can work for us, and I, I think that human nature does not like to pass through death. Nobody likes to go through that experience of death and burial, but it's very much the way the gospel is: death, burial, resurrection, ascension. We don't like the taste death, and we don't like the feeling of abandonment in the darkness. But man, there is a—and I was preaching Sunday, I won't preach again this Sunday. There is a resurrection on the other side of death and burial. Paul said that if there isn't one, we are men utmost miserable, and who will so live in misery? So I, I think there's many of you in different ways in here that have either tasting death, facing death, or been promised it, or have able to face it, or felt it, or been experienced. Come under my protection, just like you said. Because this is going to happen in our nation. And this I'm getting outside of our personal life now, an international issue. But there's a release of the angel of death. And we must be covered in the blood of Jesus. And, And we are. We must stay in the shelter of the most high because there is a thing coming and the Lord is going to release it himself. Like the angel of death in the day of the Passover. Mark my words, this is coming. And I don't know how it's going to look. But you you and I can deliver divine protection by the Lord. Or it cannot be touched unless he permits it. And I mean that by as the days go darker. But he's up here telling me the more the remnant, the more you and I move into the place of the garden and are restored by the Father as a family, the more the release of this black sword, that's, that's what he said to me. And I, I, I looked it up. There's some work that. You can look it up there. I I don't know if you see people dying and going through this, but the war is going to release this in our nation. And it might be characterized by a civil war. I don't know what it's going to look like, but it is not going to be good. And the people of God must, must, this place that we're talking about, must, must, must abide under the shadow of the most High. And like I said, some of you in this room are facing death or have had to deal with this recently. God is uh, bringing us through something. Don't shout by. Uh, get under protection. Get under provision. Get under the direction of the Lord. And if the Lord in that way is cutting up stuff in your life when it doesn't feel good because he's getting at things that aren't like you, just let Him have his way because it places you under divine protection. We plead the blood, Lord, over your remnant in this nation and the nation of the world. We ask the Lord, that we would be covered under the blood. We pray, Lord, that we wouldn't shrink back as we process through the presence, even if part of you has been taken away, even if part of your own self-life is being removed from you, just keep on coming. You know, I'm here as a preacher to declare to you, and in experiencing more of this, the glory of the light in the face of Jesus Christ. God's light shining out of darkness because the Lord is going to cause a remnant people to rise on the earth, and glorious light so is going to break forth out of the remnant. and and I mean, we will see this. Your your light will shine bright in it. The Lord is going to take the bride and put her on display in this last hour like it's been unprecedented. And everything that hinders love is removed, and you you're going to see the greatest demonstration of the glory of the Lord. And you'll say, We're one of them. You know, it, it'll it won't be like, well they're they're in our family, they're the sons and daughters of God. Well, I don't know them. That's what I, I'll say it out loud. You may, I know people say this isn't it, but the word gives, 2 Corinthians 9, it gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Do not eat your, do not, do not, do not, do not eat your seed. Eat your bread. If the Lord puts something in your hand in the way of seed, make sure that you sow it. I, I couldn't, I could not tell you how important this is because the people of God will have to function like this, especially in the end times. You have that seed, and it will expand if you sow. And we learned in our family, we had to sow above times. But I got an expansion on everything I did above my 10%. And that's how we've had word to, to live. And it worked for our family, i will just say I believe it's a biblical precedent. Lord, I bless everyone in hearing and giving. I bless them, Lord, in coming in and going out. And I bless them, Lord, and seed to sow and bread for their family, to pay the bills, to take care of expenses, but also an expansion, and pray for wisdom over all of our people, wisdom and giving, and how that to operate in our giving, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Turn to Luke chapter 2. This morning's reading will be verses 22 through 24. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. Now, when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be set apart to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is specified in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you this morning for your word. I ask you, Holy Spirit, for to preach it, for a revelation to come, pray for the hearers, Lord, that this, these words will impact our heart and change us, Lord. It's your holy word and it has power in life. Pray that you would open up our eyes to see this morning how you're speaking to each one of us in this room, out of this text. This text will lead us into the future, Lord, and it will take us into your will and you would bring understanding to us, Lord, of what it is that you're saying to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Um, I know some of you weren't with us last week and so I want to start out, last week we, you know, I got into verse 21 and just stayed with verse 21 for, I guess it went for a while, someone said like 45 minutes, but I just, really got encouraged, and I hope it encouraged you about uh, this picture of Jesus being in the temple and being circumcised after eight days. And it, it, it says there that at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was named Jesus. And what we learned in that text was that man the number of man of six days that man was given on the earth to work and to guard and cultivate in God's garden that God had ordained a seventh day of, of rest. And I and I, I, I spoke with you or ministered to you that these, these six days were, were a portion of man for that very reason. And that God even rested on the seventh day and there are Hebrews will say there yet remaineth a rest for my people. And, uh, he'll say in Hebrews, he'll say labor therefore, remember, to enter into what? Rest. And I can, and I, I went back to January 2018 when we were, we had been in, the Lord had said, you're, you're going to come in through seven days in ministry, or and it took us a number of years, and he said, You're going to come in uh, through these seven uh, aspects of pattern that are built in the human soul. And what I had come to find out was there were six priestly patterns. And then there was a seventh, which was the high priestly pattern of the Lord. And I I remember we were closing the door on our building in downtown Hendersonville. And the Lord that night, I, I couldn't figure out why it said... We were closing the door on the seventh day of rest in the building that we were in, and I remember that night, laying in the bed, and the Lord said to me, welcome to the eighth day, and I, I tell you, it's like you blew all my circuits right there, because I was like, what is the eighth day, and I, I mean, I don't know how many of you heard preaching on the eighth day, or heard that expounded. Um, but at that point in my life, I heard a little bit about the, maybe the 8th day or an 8th day understanding, but I, I didn't fully understand it. And I I, became, I, I came to realize that God's 8th day was the day of resurrection. That after we had passed through, that the human soul had developmental processes within it, and that you could grow in grace through sanctification and be developed by the Lord, and that there were uh, these forms inside of us when God made us, and that our, our ministry impressed through seven of those forms: six being priesthood, the seventh being high priesthood, and we were moving into the eighth day. The eighth day again being the resurrection life of God, and so I had taught this years ago, and some of you have heard heard this, because I, I found in the gospel something like a like an acronym, and if you take notes, I encourage you in this area to take this note, but I found as an acronym, the Lord spoke this to me, when I was preaching through Mark's gospel, that he pays our fare, and then he shared with me that I paid for your faith, I, I gave you grace, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, And I I pay for your adversity that you're going to go through after you move in faith. I pay for your rest and I pay for your expansion. And uh, I I found faith, adversity, rest, expansion. And Jesus said, I paid your fare. And, and, uh, you know, I'm sure you remember in Scripture it says that he will take the tares, right, and throw them into the fire because uh, there to be burned, he says, and, it, and here's what a terror is. He said, a terror is toil, anxiety, resentment, and emptiness. He said, I never, I never meant for a man to toil out of anxiety every day and be just trying to, you know, figure out how am I going to take care of this and how am I going to get this done and. You no, know, I never. That wasn't my intention, with man. That you live this sort of biting your nails and trying to pull up by the bootstraps, as people say, or just throw your hands up in the air to say I quit. God did not intend toil for us. It was a byproduct of the fall. Because toil makes you anxious. Toil brings anxiety. It, it can give you a pectic ulcer. It can leave you up all night. Because I got to figure out what I'm going to do. How am I going to make ends meet? How am I going to fix this and fix that? Again, how am I going to take care of my family? And what can happen in anxiety and toil is resentment can set up, and we start to turn against the very people we're we'll called to love. Because you know why we turn against them? Because. And I don't know if you've had this happen in your family, but if someone keeps on taking something, and you live out of toil and anxiety, and they start to pull something off of you, you you can start to get into resentment because they're taking something from you. Because with toil, you only can get what you can get. If you can't produce or you can't make it happen, you don't get anymore. You get what you put in. If you put in something, you can only get back what you put in. And somebody is always trying to undercut that in your life. I don't. Whether it's in your family, is, you know, or it's at your workplace, something's always sitting there trying to challenge and take your pay or take your what you do, and, or your health is, trying to pull at you and say you can't get it done. And what do you do if you just can't get it done? How are you going to take care of things? How are you going to take care of things, you know, moms and dads or, or you, those of you that are single? Someone's always trying to grab. If they start trying to grab at what you're doing and you don't have plenty, you know what happens? Resentment. You know what What happens in our family? We start to wall somebody off, you know, because, you know, they're too selfish, we'll say Or they're taking something from me, or they didn't respect me, or they're not nice, because there's not a bubbling overflow that's happening in your life. Instead, I put in this much, you took advantage of me, I gotta push you out. This happens in families all the time. Tall, anxiety, resentment. You know what happens with long term resentment? In family, you are left empty. It disconnects the family. You know, and I don't know if you experience this in your own family. I don't know how every one of you been raised, but or if you experience it in your families now or with your extended family. But that that model of living was never meant for the people of God. The Lord says it's so bad that He wants to throw, break the thing off, cut it off with a pruning, and throw it into the fire. That's how Bad, whole anxiety and resentment and emptiness is to him. He said, "That's not the modus operandi of the family. I have I ordained for something for you, called grace. I'm going to give it to you for free. All you have to do is trust me. Faith. I'm, I'm just saying to you, sons and daughters." All I'm saying to you is trust me. And here we go out in faith, and we say, Lord, I trust you. I'm going to step out here. The first thing you and I are going to encounter every time after a movement of faith is adversity. Everything is trying to tell you that what you stepped out on is not going to happen. but You, you put your foot out there and you said, I'm going. Right? I'm gonna go out there, and then if I do, and then next thing you know, I'm not walking on air, and I'm gonna keep trying until I do. <laughs> you know, y'all flip out i like something walking on air, but it can happen. If I could just not think it was there, I just walk around here and in there. See, adversity is trying to tell tell you after you move out with the Lord, adversity is trying to tell you that what God said to you is not true. Now, I'm going to get back to the eighth day because this is why it's so important. And years ago, I said, Lord, how this work? He said, well, when you move out in faith, I begin with the six days of creation. <clears throat> so so what you do is you take the six days, days. Now, if you take notes, I built a little six grid. Okay, I, I, I drew like a grid of six. So you make a rectangle, put a line down the middle. So, so you, let me get back to my chapter here because they won't be really able to hear it in the recording, but you get, you, you take in the upper left hand quadrant quadru- and you put days one and beneath the three and beneath that five. And then if you'll move over to the other quadrant, you'll put two, four, and six. And if you, if you'll, and I'm not going to do this for you this morning, but if you'll get your Bible out and look at when God created the days, you'll find that in the left hand quadrant, they were forming days. He formed. And in the right hand quadrant, they were filling days. He filled when he formed. Now, this is true in uh, marriage. Mostly you men, mostly men will get the forming, uh, objective, outside view. Our ladies, the the lady usually gets the filling. That means sometimes the F-E-E-L. But also, F I L L. She gives the feeling. Uh, How you bring something into the form. We we call it objective and subjective sometimes. God God says, I give you an architect, and I give you an interior decorator. Right? You need both to be whole. And when God made the heavens and the earth, He formed and He filled. So the way, the way I understood this was you move out in faith, and there's adversity. And when you study the six days, you can also find air, sea, and land. And I, I started looking at this matrix because I'm a little bit architect or engineer or whatever. That's the way my mind thinks. And I, I look at it, and I'm like, oh. thing I'll do is I'll begin to upgrade the hardware. The the forming. And I'll always do that before I'm putting in the software. The filling. So God, when we move out in faith, wants to do something inside of us, and I began to find that there was a structure inside of man, and that God would, if you would move in faith, he would bring a hardware and a software upgrade to your soul. You know, the the human soul is, is outfitted in such a way that it can be repaired. It can be restored. Now, I don't know if you have an understanding like this, but when someone says, what's God's will for me? The Bible is very clear. The Bible says that God's will for you is your sanctification. That means that he wants to restore your soul. And he wants you to prosper even as your what prospers? Soul. So you might and I might want to get into this because if I want the things in the external world to change, God's going to deal with me internally first. So he says, move in faith. And nobody, there's not one human being on this planet that can tell someone how to move in faith. No one can design it for you. All a preacher's for is to share this concept, but no one can do this for you. I cannot tell you what God wants for your life to save my life. All I can say is, He loves you, He wants something for your life, and He has a plan for you. But let me tell you, I learned this from the Lord faith in the six days of adversity. Now, so many people, they get offended with God. Because he said to move out and now everything falls apart. I mean, it does almost for everybody. Why? Because he just said, Oh, you moved in faith. You gave me permission. I love to do a hardware upgrade, a software upgrade. And they were like, Oh, it don't feel good. I don't like this. Everything seems to go out of, into chaos. It, it does. I just want to tell you if you move in faith, chaos will reveal itself. It will. Now, Stephen says sometimes, like, throw it on the trash heap. That's an idea of chaos. The chaos is inside of us, but it has to be revealed. And we we don't like it. But God is, what he's doing, he's beginning to circumcise the human heart. He's beginning to change us, and he says, your formatting is off. You're a byproduct of the fall. Let me reformat you. And when I get done with your hardware upgrade, I'll put new language in there and software. Any of you ever tried to communicate with somebody before and it just is going south? Every husband no, and every wife every you wife, know, every person we've dealt with this, you know, is like, that's not what I'm saying. No, that's what you're saying. No, someone's trying to no. say, ah! She does. Because something about the format of the words and the feeling of the words is not connected. And the Lord wants to get this language between us and Him connected. So uh, now, after the six days, faith, you go through an adversity and you get reformatted and refilled. Rest. Rest will come. It's kind of like this peace comes over you. Y'all know what I mean when I say rest? You know when you basically get to the end of everything you could do—that was involved in your six days of creation—but you're sort of like, "Man, there's no way. I tried everything. I worked out everything. I'm come to the end of myself. Take you a nap if you get there. I mean, really, take one. Just like let everything. It's like I can't fix it if I wanted to. And the word's like, "That's right. It's easier to rest. Just do it. And this is what this eighth day is about. Because after rest comes expansion. There's always an expansion. Now, see, your adversity is trying to tell you what sin is trying to tell us all. It'll never happen for me. I moved out in faith and look what happened. He sent me this and sent me that. And toil, anxiety, and resentment and emptiness are trying to get the best of us. And the Lord said, throw it in the fire. And let it burn. Throw it on the trashy. Throw out your tariffs and let me have my way with you. Let me reformat you. You need a new hard drive. You need your hardware filed up in your your hardware styled up. And not just that, your software is your language, your understanding of things. Let me fix you, and He will. At the end of the eight day, days, He circumcised. Um, God's bringing about a resurrection. There is an expansion. There's a resurrection life on the end of your rest. So when the time came for purification, in the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph, husband and wife, they bring forth Jesus. In our culture, everything is trying to get us separate from, you know, in, in the gender identity worlds. It's trying to either diminish one of the other genders. It, it, it is trying to diminish our genders, and now they've come up with 31, I think. Now, there's only two genders. That's just a fact. There's male and female. There's not 31 genders. There might be 31 kings in the human soul that Joshua found out that you must defeat. I, when they said that on the news last year, I said, oh, I know what they're saying. They don't know what they're saying, but Joshua had to go up against 31 kings. I was like, yeah, it's not 31 genders. It's 31 it's thirty-one problems in the human soul that the Lord wants to bring unity between male and female. They're on the something, and they just don't know how to say it exactly right. There's 31 kings that are defeated in the promised land, not 31 different genders, 31 different Distinct problems that the Lord wants us to take uh, possession of His promises. Because He's bringing us to transfiguration, not transgenderism. And in this circumcision of the human heart, Mary and Joseph, <clears throat> it says, are both there after purification. There's not a sloughing off of, of the female, and there's not a sloughing off of the male. We recently one of the kids came up to me from school and said, they said one of the friends said it was a shame or whatever to be a male. You know, one of the girls at school, and I thought, I would I would hate to be a male. And I was like, why hate to be a male? I mean, why hate to be a female? Why why should we turn on each other's Specificity and the beauty of what God made when he made man and woman distinct in their roles. Why, why turn on each other? At any time right now, we should be um, uh, giving dignity and honor to the beauty of what God has created inside of the man and inside of the woman. At the end of their purification, what happens? They bring forth Jesus. I, I, I think of Jesus as a royal. I think of him as the guy who's in charge of everything. I think of him, when I think of him, I, I used to think of him as a carpenter from Nazareth. Most of my life, I can relate to the carpenter in Nazareth, born in a major better than I could the sovereign king whose right to govern and rule a whole cosmos, including my family, everybody else's family, and then all this property was his. I, I, I don't know that I was really thinking that way. I was thinking I kind of did my thing, and yeah, you were the carpenter from Nazareth. We, our family can relate to him a little bit better. Because we don't come up from the royal. You know, we my, my, my bloodline doesn't necessarily... Uh, We weren't born in Buckingham Palace, okay? And so it says at the end of this purification, a period that the family is going through, that husband and wife are going through, male and female are going through, at the end of the purification, they brought forth who? Jesus. A, there's a purification, and we're talking about that this morning and discussing this, that God is working out in our families. And, and whether, you're, whether you're single here or in, and you're in a family or you're single and not in a family, or you're a part of our family, God is looking to bring forth a purification right now. While the world is going away from this, God is bringing internal purification in the human heart of every male and that are his. This is being corrupted in our culture right now like never before. It's, it's, it's just, it's got, it's getting so out of hand. And the Lord is going to do this internal work in Joseph and Mary here modeling this. If we're going to bring forth Jesus, we, we're going to be purified by the Holy Spirit at the end of this time the end of this purification of the Lord coming into an 8th day reality, now the Lord can begin to be presented. Uh, you know what I found? You know what I found? I found the 8 days, but I found a number 9 and a number 10, and I've got this work I'm working on right now called Rise of the It has 10 forms of the human soul. It's the 10 basic laws of God. You and I have ten formats inside of ourselves, and I found that you can go off of the eighth, and there's two more, and they they develop the king, the human, the king inside of our humanity. They bring together the real incarnation of God, and the Lord is looking for a purification like this to bring forth Jesus and present Him in Jerusalem. You know, this is his first advent, but there, there's coming a second one. Jesus is going to um, come down, and in the eastern sky, he's going to come down to the Mount of Olives, and there, there's, a, there's a great purification called the preparation of the bride and the glorification of man that will bring the Lord back. There's going to be a unity in male and female in the end of the age, in love, like among the remnant, like you've never seen before. There's going to be the widow and the orphan who was outcast that are gods are going to be brought in and make a family and make one fellowship together. Uh, you're going to see something in family and the purification of family like we've never seen since, uh, since Adam and Eve fell. And there must be. There must be. Because uh, the Lord says that the spirit of Elijah will come, and will cause the heart of the father to be turned to children and the children to their fathers. Everything's trying to strike against fathers and their children. Everything's trying to come against the unity in the, in the home. But the Lord wants purification in our homes. He wants holiness and righteousness in our families. He comes down off the Mount of Transfiguration and he says, hey, don't tell anybody about this till after what? My resurrection. He said, oh, Elijah's coming and he will restore all things. He's referencing back about 5 or 4 or 5 or 6 that I just spoke to you. I'm going to restore the heart of the father and the children and the children to the father. Hey, if any of you in here have child reared, It is not the easiest thing you'll ever do. We have six. Six. One in heaven, seven. Six children. I'm telling you, that is no easy task. It'll challenge everything inside of you. And if if you're a child in here, you know the challenge of relating to wanting the acceptance and approval and desire of your parents. It's, It's challenging in the family. And the Lord wants communion. The Lord wants to restore things. We can't fix it. Sometimes we say, you know, something, why do you have so many kids? It's like, those are the kids the Lord provided and wanted us to have. And, you know, why did you make that decision with your family? It's like, the Lord wants our families to come together. And i tell you, it can be tough because some of us are like, sin can separate us. And you know, we can get problems in between us. i, I, I share. sure you have to fight. You, you have to fight for love. You do. you got to pray. You, you have to own some stuff as a dad. Man, I've had to own asking for forgiveness. I don't know how many times. Now, I've done wrong. Except my sin separates me from my children. My children's sin separated them from me. We have to fight for this. It's like... Nobody likes to go, generally speaking, on up to things. But some of us, we need to. And we're afraid if we put ourselves out there, we'll just be rejected again or shamed or guilt-ridden. And the Lord's like, no, I want to restore your families. I want purification to come. And I'll say this to you. Real purification cannot come in your family. Listen to me. If you're functioning from a place of toil, anxiety, resentment, and emptiness, you will not get the purification that you're looking for. You can't; It just will not work. You cannot help to resent your own children or the children to resent their own parents if you function from a place of toil and anxiety. It, it's just a byproduct of the fall. That's why the Lord says the best thing for you to do is move in faith. Yes, you're going to get adversity, but I'll bring your family into rest and expansion. You'll have more to give to your children. Your children will have more to give because they'll see the burden relief of their parents. It says here that the law of the Lord said that every firstborn male will be set apart to the Lord. And I, I want to just discuss here with you just for I'm going to finish here in a few minutes. But the law of first fruits. And there, there's so much on this, and I can't expound on all this today, but I there's something important even within our family life and in our in the way that we characterize our homes, that we bring forth the best of what we have. When you're a firstborn son, if, if you have a firstborn son or, or you're part of a family, the idea here was that we would give the best of our, our firstborn to the Lord. Um, uh, Stephen and Albo is the firstborn sons of our dads. Now here we are. I don't know how many days it was for you. I think I was dedicated within a week by my parents, right? At, at the altar of the Lord's Nazarene Church. Give them up. I mean, I fought it. I don't want to be a preacher. I want to be a fighter pilot. I want to be an astronaut. I do not want to. I did not want to do this. But when a minute. Mom and daddy dedicated. It's just like, you don't. to do that because that's what the Lord has ordained. Let the firstborn. And the idea is, is that the first fruits, the best of substance of what we have, would be given to the Lord. We take the best of what we have. We need we, we to do this in our finances. The best of what we have given to the Lord. Our children, the best that we have in the firstborn, we give them to the Lord. And if we give all our children to the Lord. We give our families to the Lord. It's not to say that we Offer up to the Lord the best of what we have. We don't hold back. Now listen here. Now listen, because this is really important for you to understand this. They were to make a sacrifice according to what was specified in the law of the Lord. First, they're bringing forth the firstborn son, Jesus. Secondly, they were to make a sacrifice. And it's interesting to me that what God says, He says, "Give up a pair of doves or two young pigeons." And, and here's the tendency, and I have learned this, I've seen this in my family, and I gave you a, an example this morning with Saint's one dollar. I give you another example in Scripture: five loaves and two fishes. The Lord is it. The Lord is looking. For this, I, I, I would call it in faith, a point of contact, he, he's not asking sometimes for you to be just like, have to be, at one moment you're completely extravagant with your firstborn, but then secondary, he's not looking for, he's not made it hard for us in some way that we couldn't get the best of what he has. I heard, I heard the dove this morning when I woke up. I went over there to check on Elizabeth to make sure she was getting up out of the bed this morning, and I walk out of her bedroom and I hear. Her. Y'all know that sound? I'm not doing a very good job. Y'all like that? You know what that is? That's a dub. That's a morning dub. And if they sound better than I do, but they have a deeper sound, I can't do it in my. Own. And you know, if, if I was, if I was, uh, if, if you couldn't afford to bring something big to the Lord, you just get you a dove trapper, somehow, or a pigeon trapper, and you put it out there and you say, we're going to have that like an offering. You, you have to take a little bit of time. But the doves are all around the yards normally, and a pigeon, if you can't get a dove they're right out there, just get two of them. Bring it to me. God's not. God's not making this hard for us. He's not. He's not trying to make our life miserable. Bring forth your one dollar. You know, bring forth what you have. Take just a moment's notice to give something of a sacrifice.